This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Many people who experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder feel lost and alone and confused by their symptoms. And because we don't have a lot of people in our circle sometimes who are able to or willing to talk about the depth of their experience and the details of their experience, it's hard to know sometimes if what we are experiencing is just us or something that other people deal with as well. And for that reason and many others, it is so important that we are hearing personal stories so that we can know that we're not alone. Even if you hear sometimes someone whose story is similar to yours, it can still feel isolating if you have experiences or thoughts or feelings that feel really bad or shameful or taboo even. And so in today's episode, when we hear from our guest, Alyssa Pesteski, she goes into a lot of details of her experience from pregnancy to birth and early postpartum. And I think it's important to know still when we hear a personal story, we don't get all of the details. We're just hearing bits and pieces of it. Some of the details that Alyssa shares with us today are those really deep and personal and scary feelings. She's going to be talking about her pregnancy and a challenging and difficult birth, as well as intrusive thoughts in postpartum. And one of the things I love about hearing personal stories is that uh, because on the podcast we really aim to have Um, experts on to talk about the clinical side and advocates on to talk about what's being done in the world to support people in the perinatal period, is that these personal stories really highlight why we are here. Why we have experts in the field is because we need people to understand what's going on with moms and new parents and dads so that we can adequately support them. And I'm grateful to Alyssa for sharing this with us today. Alyssa is a sales executive for a network equipment and services provider that works with telecommunication companies all over the U.S. and Canada. She lives in Batavia, New York, just outside of Buffalo, with her husband, Doug, two-year-old daughter, Gloria, and their dog, Lily. Their family spends as much time outdoors as possible hiking and camping. 
After the birth of her daughter, Alyssa suffered from postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD. She has since realized just how important it is to raise our voices in the fight against mental health stigmas and wants to help normalize PMADs for moms in her community. She has organized a climb out of the darkness for 2020, and I will put the link in the show notes for anyone who wants to donate to her climb through Postpartum Support International. Some of the details that Alyssa talks through today might be sensitive for some listeners who are still dealing with intrusive thoughts or healing from birth trauma. Let's welcome Alyssa as she shares her story with us. I've been able to get to know you just a little bit, but I'm excited to understand your story a little bit more and really thankful that you're here and willing to share with everyone what you have gone through and how you sought healing. I think it'll be helpful for everyone. Definitely. definitely. So yeah, um, just start wherever you're comfortable with um, with your story. All right, sure. So I grew up in the Buffalo, New York area, met my husband. It's been about seven years now. We have our fifth anniversary actually coming up next week hmm. of being married. Yeah. And so I think, you know, my whole story with postpartum depression and OCD, I think it really started way before I got pregnant, which I, which I really didn't realize until I went through, you know, a lot of therapy and a lot of reflecting on, on life in general after postpartum OCD and, and depression. My husband had suffered a stroke uh, just after our, our wedding, actually. Oh, gosh. Yeah, a few few months after. He was a super, super healthy 40-year-old, you know, no prior health issues whatsoever. And, you know, we were really, really set on trying to get pregnant pretty close after we got married. You know, we, we, we met each other a little bit later in life. So we kind of felt like, you know what, we've had so much fun. We've enjoyed this first two years together. Let's just start a family now and see, you know, see what happens. And, you know, after he had his stroke, both of us were in this place of, oh gosh, you know, do we want to have a baby right now? Is this the best time to bring someone into our family when, you know, God forbid this could happen again? Because thankfully, you know, he ended up being, you know, great afterwards. He spent a few days in the ICU in Rochester, New York. And, afterwards, you know, didn't need any kind of physical therapy or anything like that. So we were, we were really lucky. He's super healthy now too. So, but looking back on it, it was really, it was scary to even think then about something that was supposed to be so exciting in this new chapter. And like, we're going to try and get pregnant. It was like this looming, you know, dark shadow over Mm. both of us, I think, you know, well, what if? And so we, you know, we worked through that as a couple and started, you know, the process of trying to conceive. And shortly after I got off of birth control, I realized that there was something very wrong. I had always had, you know, really heavy flows and very just difficult uh, menstrual cycles. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I never really thought anything of it because as a woman, you're kind of, you know, <laughs> programmed to think like, oh, cramps are totally normal and pain right. is totally normal. Oh and, my gosh, you're so right. Yeah. <laughs> And it was, you know, just so not, not the truth. There was definitely something wrong. The pain was increasing each cycle that I had to the point where I'd be in bed for two days, you know, when my cycle first started. And so after all of these things started piling up and piling up the first year we were trying to conceive, you know, I was diagnosed with endometriosis, which you know, my mom had before, before she was able to conceive both my brother and I. And so it was really helpful, at least having her story. And I was able to 
have surgery pretty quickly after we had a diagnosis. So I was lucky on that front. A yeah. lot of women have to wait a long time for a diagnosis. Totally, right. I had my first surgery and we actually ended up conceiving our daughter, Gloria, about probably within six months of that surgery okay. um, back in 2017. Yeah, so it, it worked. You know, it, it cleared up some of the inflammation and mm-hmm. um, things that were going on at the time. And we were able to conceive. And the crazy thing was, so throughout this whole, you know, endometriosis journey, it was apparent that we may need some help to actually get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So we had set up an appointment with a local fertility center. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the appointment was on a Wednesday and we were going to jump right into IVF treatment just with my, you know, my age and my surgical history and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And I had the script sent into the pharmacy. We were ready to go. We felt so relieved that like, you know what, we've got we've got new hope, you know, right, maybe right. this will really help get us pregnant. And I was set to supposed to get my, uh, my cycle started that following Friday. So two days later, and I remember waking up on Saturday morning and going, honey, like, I didn't, I didn't get my period. <laughs> so that's really weird. Like, I'll have to wait until I get it before we can start this, these new meds. And, you know, the next day came and still no period. And I took a pregnancy test. And I remember my husband going, but I thought you couldn't get pregnant. <laughs> and and right. so it was just this crazy, like, serendipitous moment for us. We were so excited. Like, yeah. we went, we go to the fertility center, which I know can be a really, you know, struggling road for a lot of parents. And we were completely shocked to find out that we didn't have to go through with it. Yeah. So I had called at that point, called the fertility center, and I said, hey, you know, I had a positive pregnancy test this weekend. And side note, it was like eight positive pregnancy tests. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, you have to make sure. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. So I'm testing and testing, Mm -hmm. you know, $40 later. But I called the fertility center and said, hey, we're not going to be needing your services after all. And the unfortunate thing that happened after that was that the nurse who answered the phone had said, well, you know, sometimes these things don't turn out to be viable pregnancies. Oh, my gosh. No. And it completely took the wind out of my sails. And I have to say from that moment forth, my anxiety really started to escalate. Of course. Ugh. Yeah. So I had to, you know, go to, they sent me that weekend actually on a Sunday. It was either Sunday or Monday because I had talked to the attending that was, you know, on call. And so, you know, they sent me to a local hospital to get some blood work done um, just to check my HCG levels. And so we checked out the, you know, the hormone levels and we were kind of low, but of course, you know, it was my first day of being pregnant, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they had me go like three or four times after that. So of course, you know, I'm going for blood work. Yeah. I'm coming right home. I'm checking my my chart online. Like, oh my gosh, are the results there yet? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Like, is this going to be a viable pregnancy? Am I going to be able to carry this baby to term? Oh is this gosh. just a fluke? Right. And this is literally just after finding out we're pregnant. So and big, big so, high and, and big drop. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I was just so shocked that that was the response I had gotten. Yeah, I finally had, you know, I I called my midwife at our local hospital here in Batavia. And she had said, stop doing, you know, stop doing the the blood test. We know that you're pregnant. Let's just let it, you know, run its course. We'll see you in six to seven weeks from now. She Mm -hmm. congratulated me. and, And that was it. And she said, just for your own sanity's sake, you don't need to take those blood tests. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the numbers are rising the way they're supposed to be and et cetera, et cetera. So of course, then the Google fever starts. And oh I'm man. Yeah. Googling what, you know, these counts mean. And I just, it was an added stressor that I just didn't, didn't need. And so I, you know, it ended up, I, I had a, a really healthy pregnancy. Our daughter was born, you know, full term. So we really were lucky in the, in the fact that it, it was a viable pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I just really wish that, I think that's one of the things that has really stuck with me this whole last two and a half years is that I feel like there's so many, whether it be providers of, you know, obstetrics or midwifery or nursing or whichever it is, there's a lot of providers out there that don't understand how harmful Mm -hmm. their words can be. And so there were a lot of little things along the way with providers and even pharmacists that were just very insensitive. Right. And, you know, escalated my anxiety uh, to a point where I just was uncomfortable all the time with choices I made. So, and this is from day one. Uh, yeah. Uh, day one. I imagine, I mean, it sounds like you had a midwife who, who could kind of temper what other people were saying, but it's so hard once somebody has like planted the, the seed or the idea to not, and if you're already worried, to not just kind of you know, be able to control that sometimes. It just kind of stays in there. Yep. The doubt, Mm -hmm. the doubt and the second guessing, you know, every choice that you make, wondering if this decision I make is going to be the thing that ruins or ends this pregnancy for me. Physically, your pregnancy was was healthy and your daughter was born and, and fine and good. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs. What they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. What happened with your anxiety throughout pregnancy? 
So throughout pregnancy, you know, once I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, this baby is here to stay. Uh Like we're doing okay. Then came the gender scan. And that was another place where I thought it was supposed to be really exciting and, you know, fun for my husband and I. But that ended up being a really anxious moment for me in the days and weeks following that as well, because my daughter (laughs) is just like her mom and hates having her picture taken. And so even in the womb, she was, you know, covering up her face, covering Mm -hmm. up, she'd she'd roll over anytime they tried to take a picture. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so, of course, the technician that was doing the scan was like, you know what, I really hate to do this, but I can't tell if it's a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. And so probably like 20 minutes later, when she's finishing up, you know, sizing and all that good stuff, she's like, I'm 90% positive it's a girl, because I haven't seen any boy parts. And that's a dead giveaway. Mm -hmm. And And I was like, so you're 90% positive. So now through my head is going, well, then we can't tell anyone we're having a girl because this woman's not sure. And, you know, what if it's not a girl? What if I start buying things for the nursery and Mm -hmm. and it turns out it's a boy and I have to return this stuff. And Mm. so all these like, and, and it was all silly things that wouldn't, you know, and shouldn't shake me but it just it was kind of just everything was compounding and making me more and more anxious and I just wanted I wanted a definite yes or a no and especially with pregnancy there's just so many things that like you just kind of got to wait and see right and but it just you know my anxiety came out in really strange ways like that um, Mm -hmm. throughout my pregnancy and things would get me really riled up but for the most part you know I had never felt more beautiful in my life really loved and enjoyed being pregnant minus the first like 10 weeks Um, (laughs) not feeling so hot but you know we were really excited we actually we hired a doula we interviewed a couple here locally and I found one that I really you know thought we connected on a great level and so we were we were pretty much set you know my midwife we we thought at the time was you know very pro you know no drugs no interference nothing of that sort with births she likes you know to do vaginal deliveries no epidural if if they're not needed etc and it was kind of all music to my ears because I really I have a really bad adverse reactions to a lot of prescription drugs okay and anesthesia and things Mm -hmm. like that I just get really super groggy Mm -hmm. and so I remember my quote-unquote birth plan or my wish list (laughs) (laughs) as we called it one of the things was you know no medical interventions as far as medicine because Mm -hmm. I just I really wanted to be present. And I just kept thinking like, gosh, if I have to have an epidural or if I have to have any pain meds, you know, it's, it's going to affect me differently than it affects most moms. And I don't want to be a zombie. So sure, we get to the day of, I had a non-stress test plan because my daughter was already late. So I was at just a little over 40 weeks and I went into the hospital for a non-stress test. And this was the first appointment my husband did not come with me <laughs> like throughout the entire pregnancy. My husband is the most amazing partner and is extremely right. supportive. And this was just the one day where I'm like, no, it'll be good. I'll be in and out, honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so two hours later, I text him. I said, they're not letting me leave. <laughs> and Yikes. our daughter must have had her hand around her cord because every time I would shift my weight or move around a little bit, they'd just see this up and down on the scan. Right. with her heartbeat. So they they weren't concerned enough to do an emergency surgery or anything, um, but they just wanted to make sure that they could monitor me and her. Right. And so, so started the induction. <laughs> and it just was not, was not what I had expected. 
you know, we started off with Cervidil and I had told the nurse, uh, they started, I want to say about like five or 6 PM or inserted it, I should say. And I had told the one nurse who was taking care of me at the time, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really not feeling good. I'm starting to have some pretty bad cramping. I'm like, I think, I think they may be contractions. And she, oh no, it's too soon. This stuff takes a while to kick in. There's no way you could be having contractions. And so she, you know, she left. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, then what oh. is it? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking, this is, this is weird. I've never felt this before. And it's, these hurt. Yeah. And so I called my mom and I called my doula and my doula said, no, you, you get that nurse back in the room. I'll be mm-hmm. there shortly. Right. Yeah. And both she and my mom came to the hospital and you know, we had our crew, our planned, Mm -hmm. our planned team there with us. And my midwife had shown up and said, you know, yeah, it is possible that you're having contractions already. Let's just, you know, let's see how you do. And that started a full like 28 hours of labor, having Mm. contractions the entire time. (laughs) And at about 6am the next morning, my midwife came in and tried to take out and I don't know if you I'm sure you're familiar with Cervidil and how they remove it. It's almost like a like the tampon string. And uh, they couldn't get it to come out because it had actually adhered itself to my cervix. <sighs> okay. Yep. I had never, never, ever, ever felt that kind of pain before when she actually had to, you know, use forceps, go in, pull this thing out. And it probably took a good 20 minutes for her oh to get it free. It just, you know, from there, it kind of went downhill. I was still in really good spirits thinking like, hey, this baby's going to come. You know, we're, we're going to be able to meet our daughter soon. Like, that's all that matters. And I think I got through about 15 hours of labor before waving the white flag and saying like, okay, what kind of drugs can I get right now? Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hurting pretty bad. And so they started, uh, uh, I want to say it was morphine. And it just, it didn't touch the pain at all. Morphine didn't um, touch the pain. That's no. Yeah. It really didn't. I just got really groggy. And I Which is was what you didn't having, want. Exactly. So I'm, I'm still having the, the contractions and all of the pain. I'm just really groggy at this point. I was able to kind of take a couple naps here and there for about 20 minutes or so. But at one point, it's, it's funny looking back at it now, one of the RNs who's now also a midwife, she was working labor and delivery at the time. She, she came in and said, you are having the most contractions I've ever seen out of any of the moms we've had on this floor without progressing. Mm -hmm. And so I had only, by the time I had my cesarean, I had only progressed to about six centimeters. And so if we go back to, we're now at like hour 22, I think, is when I got my first epidural and that did not work. Oh man. (laughs) And the, uh, the anesthesiologist and my midwife and the other nurses that were there at one point said, you know, you won't be able to really move around too much. So let's get you in a comfy position. And, and I'm using my legs, I'm pushing myself up by my feet still. And, you know, and probably like 30, 45 minutes into this, they're like, you can still move your legs like that. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, am I not supposed to? (laughs) This isn't normal. They're like, no, that's not normal. And so it really just didn't take, I don't know what, you know, the issue was. But so I got into the shower. I sat in the shower for a while with my husband there with me and, and one of the nurses and my, my doula. And we really just, you know, it was just like a round robin of sit, stand, walk, sit, right. stand, yep. walk, mm-hmm. shower, sit, you know, the whole yeah. the whole thing. And mm-hmm. we got to like 24 hours and my midwife walked in the room and she said, 
I'm giving you two hours. And at the end of that two hours, if you haven't progressed, you're having surgery. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, if I could go back in time, you know, after everything I've learned, I would have said, no, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to let my daughter come when she's ready. Because it was basically it. She just wasn't ready. And neither was I. It wasn't our time to have, have a child that day. So so basically, you know, on came the anxiety of, oh, God, I've got to make this happen. I have to make my body, oh, right. you know, dilate so that I can have my daughter naturally like I wanted to or vaginally, I should say. And of course, that didn't happen. So I had, you know, hard feelings going into the OR. But sure. at that point, I was so tired. And I just wish someone would have said, just get some sleep. You know, yeah. she wasn't in any danger. I wasn't in any danger. We were both stable. You know, there wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. But we had a C-section at 11 p.m. the night after I had been induced. At, I want to say it was five or six the day before. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that point, so now I had an epidural that had failed. I had the morphine. And then also along the way, I had antibiotics, 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 because I had tested positive for Oh gosh, and it escapes me now. Strep B? Yes, strep B. Mm-hmm. So um, I had tested positive for that. So I had to have all these rounds of you know antibiotics leading up to childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just was pumped with so many different <laughs> things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize too, it was a normal part of childbirth, but the, sh- the shaking that had started. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I am being wheeled into the OR and I cannot stop shaking. Oh, yeah. And so... Through my head, I'm thinking, oh, my God, how is she going to do surgery on me? Uh, right. Like, uh, it, you know, I wouldn't be able to perform surgery on someone shaking so violently. Mm-hmm. But they said, no, it's totally normal. You're fine. We'll tell you exactly what's going on and as it happens so that, you know, you're not worried. And, you know, we get... But you're already worried. <laughs> yeah, I'm already worried. Too late. Already yeah, already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm shaking uncontrollably. My husband, I can't see him, but I know he's there. Mm-hmm. You know, they get me prepped. They drape, uh, drape, you know, the blue screen in front of us so we can't really see anything. Um, and I just remember my husband putting his head down near me and just telling me over and over, you know, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But the whole time, and I still get choked up talking about it, but the whole time I just remember thinking, I'm never going to meet her. I'm never going to meet her because if I close my eyes right now, I am never going to open them again. Oh, that's horrible. What a horrible feeling. It was, you know, it it rocked me to my core completely. And I had never been so scared in my life besides the day my husband had his stroke. Um, But this was a whole different type of fear. Yeah. And so the room got really quiet. We didn't know why. My surgeon had stopped explaining the whole process and what she was doing. And I had at one point said to the anesthesiologist, I said, is everything okay? And she just looked at me and looked at the surgeon and looked back at me and she said, you need some extra sutures probably. There's some, there's some extra blood they're trying to get rid of. Like, it's okay. You'll be okay. Mm. And I realized afterwards, after calling my surgeon about three months after childbirth to get my surgical report read back to me, right. they had torn a portion of my uterus when they went in to get Gloria out. And I was bleeding quite, quite badly, enough that they thought I was going to need a transfusion, but thankfully I didn't end up needing it. But so all of this is going on and you can immediately tell that something's wrong, right? but nobody's telling you what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it just added more to the fear. And I remember them saying, oh, my God, look at her hair. And I'm like, wait, what's what's happening with the baby's out? Like, what Ugh. 
is she okay? Like, what do you mean her hair? And she, my daughter had really long blonde hair when she was born. (laughs) So mixed with all the blood, they didn't know if she was a redhead or a blonde. And they just kept talking about how, you know, how beautiful she was. And then, you know, they put her basically kind of on me because I had asked for skin to skin immediately. And they Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, held her over me while I was being sutured up. And my husband got to hold her skin to skin in the hospital, um, in the OR. Because I said, if I'm not able to, I need mm-hmm. my husband to, um, right. you know, right away. And they thankfully, you know, were wonderful with that request. They actually said he was one of the very first dads that had ever done that in the OR. And he was really proud of that moment. He really stepped up to the plate. And yeah. I was so proud of him too. But in that moment, it was just like, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so they get me sutured up and they put her right on me and said, okay, we're going to wheel you to your room. <laughs> And the whole time I'm going, no, you have to take her. I, I can't hold her. Right. Like, I'm still shaking. Um, so then, at that point, was it, it did, I imagine it was kind of like, obviously hard to wrap your head around all that was going on. Was it also mm-hmm. hard to kind of form thoughts and talk? It was. It was hard to form thoughts. I kept thinking, I should be happy. Why aren't I happy? Mm -hmm. I just, it felt like such an out-of-body experience. Like Mm -hmm. I was watching this play out on TV and it wasn't my life. It just felt very, I felt very disconnected from the entire, entire surgery and what had happened for the, you know, the day prior. It just felt like it was a different world. Right. Um, And especially when they put her on my chest and said, okay, let's go to your room. I just thought, you know, you're going to wheel me out of here and I'm going to drop this baby. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop this baby and she is going to die today. Like (sighs) this will be her last day. And that fear set in and, you know, it, it, it shook me up. But Mm -hmm. when I, when I got back to the room, we had amazing nurses after the fact. Oh, good. The RNs that we had, you know, beyond the one that told me they weren't contractions, everyone else was wonderful. (laughs) And so, you know, post-surgery, everything was fine. I wasn't really happy with the support I got with lactation. And I obviously started getting really stressed out when the hospital's pediatrician came in and said, your baby's lost too much weight. We need to give her formula. Your milk's not in yet. She has to have formula before you leave. And I just remember being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, pretty sure I read that the babies lose a lot of weight, you know, because they're not, they're not being pushed out vaginally. All those extra, you know, fluids are basically going to come off the first two, three days of her life. Like, isn't that what's happening here? Mm. And no, no, she's just, you're, you're failing to make milk. You need to give her formula. And I didn't want to do it. And the nurses literally had to force feed my daughter formula and she just would projectile vomit it right away. Mm. And so it was this whole situation, you know, post-surgery and post-birth was like, what in the world is happening right now? Like everything that's, no, Mm -hmm. everything that's supposed to be natural and normal is not happening and it doesn't, nothing feels good right now. Mm -hmm. And so I I just really did not have a fantastic stay in the hospital. Again, the nurses were so helpful, but there's only so much you can do in that kind of situation. It just felt very chaotic. And so, you know, the lactation specialist comes in and she's just, well, you just have to put her head here and open her mouth and do this. And it's just very, you know, I felt like a lot of the people I ran into in the first few days of my daughter's life we're like, this is how it works. It's black and it's white. Oh. And there's no gray. There's nothing in between. This is the way it has to be done. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. It's all gray. 
Yeah, it's all gray. As I've learned over the last two and a half years, Mm -hmm. this is all gray. And, you know, I'm thankful for another lactation consultant that had come in. And she was actually a a registered nurse with my midwife's office. She was working the floor at the hospital that day. And she came in and just said, you know, it's okay. Do it on your own time. Like your daughter's going to learn how to nurse. You're going to learn how to nurse. Like you've got this. Don't Mm -hmm. second guess yourself. And Natalie and I are friends now. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing woman I've really gotten to know over the last two years, and I'm thankful for her. Yeah, and some other really great women that came into my life at this time that had really, you know, pulled through for me. So after that, you know, we get back home and things were fine. My, I remember my mom saying to me, because I had always had, you know, anxiety and depression in the past. So I think we were all kind of like, ooh, when's the other shoe going to drop? But I never knew really truly what the signs and symptoms of postpartum depression and OCD were. Uh-huh. It started for me, I mean, I was pretty much, again, just watching the movie that was my life, kind of just watching the days pass me by, not really getting a ton of joy out of anything. Everything um, felt kind of distant, far away. Yeah, it just felt distant. And I loved my daughter. I, I and, you know, I kept on breastfeeding. We powered through the first couple days because, you know, my milk hadn't come in. So we were feeding her formula through a tube while she was on my breast. Mm-hmm. And it was a really big team effort. I thank my mom and my husband for that. But it just felt like I wasn't there. I wasn't participating. Mm-hmm. And then after that, after the first three months of feeling like I wasn't participating in my own life, I just started to get mad. Yeah. And, you know, the the rage is really, I think, what had triggered my family to say, okay, like, what's going on? This mm-hmm. isn't normal. Uh, prior to that, um, I mean, you didn't quite feel normal. Did did people around you, could they tell that you weren't quite yourself prior to the, the rage stuff? No. I think what we kind of chalked it up to was like, wow, you're you're doing really well. You're staying so even keeled. Like, you're not getting upset. You're not, mm. you know, it was... I was numb. Right. right. You know, and I think everyone thought like, wow, she's, she's doing pretty good because mm-hmm. she's not, you know, cause I have an A type personality where sometimes I can be really, really bossy and <laughs> you know, it's my way or the highway some days. <laughs> and I just, I wasn't even doing that. It was just, I was just there. Yeah. You know, I kind of felt like a piece of furniture that mm-hmm. was lactating. <laughs> like <laughs> It was just, you know, a lactating armchair. Yeah. And so I think really the the moment we all knew it was something was wrong was when the rage started. And mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I, I threw my phone across the room at my husband one night. I don't even remember what it was about, but the poor man, I love my husband. Doug is amazing. Um, but I, I had never been so mad at him. And mm-hmm. for simple things, threw my phone, bro- broke the screen, smashed into a million pieces. You know, I was starting to to come down on my mom really hard, who was there, I mean, night and day helping us out, same mm-hmm. with my father and my in-laws for that matter. I had this irrational fear of having my in-laws hold my daughter. And really, it was just my mom, my dad, my husband. They were my safe zone. Yeah. Nobody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone else to hold her. I didn't want anyone else in the house. I didn't want visitors because everything just started to A, make me really mad and B, make me really scared. Mm-hmm. My husband and I are big campers. And so when my daughter was about three months old, we went on our first camping trip with her to Lake Durant in the Adirondack Mountains, which is just our favorite place in the world to be. Mm-hmm. And all I did was fight with him the entire time yeah. and just get angry and anxious and just like violently angry. Like just, mm-hmm. it was almost like, you know, 
spewing venom at him mm-hmm. um, for no reason other than the fact I was just really out of sorts. Yeah. And I remember leaving that trip early and I have a, a photo of the three of us and you could just see in my face, I was just, I had hit a wall. And so when we got back from that trip is when the intrusive start, thoughts started. So um, you're, it's still about three months. Yeah, I'm okay. at about three months. Postpartum. And now at okay. this time too, my surgeon who had done my surgery, you know, I had told her I'm having a really hard time with you know, being able to even touch my C-section scar. It didn't feel like it was a part of my body. I'm still numb where my scar is and and Mm. the lower portion of my abdomen is still numb. But I just remember feeling very disconnected from my body and thinking, you know, what happened in there? I I remember they said I I bled out a lot and like, I want to know why. So I had called my surgeon and she thankfully, you know, read through my surgical notes with me and explained everything that had happened and told me, you know, you should probably get back on birth control you know, and and that might help with some of the up and downs that you're having. And when I started back on birth control, it just threw me for an even bigger loop. And that's really when the intrusive thoughts started pretty strong. Yeah. And so it was a good solid few months of, um, you know, seeing and there was a lot of really violent imagery that went on. And usually it was when I was sitting in my daughter's nursery, nursing her before bed. Mm-hmm. And looking back at it now, I know it's because I was I was tired. Mm-hmm. I you know I was I wasn't getting enough rest, and there was so many things that I could check off. You know, on a list of Are you tired? Are you hungry? Mm-hmm. You know, do you need more water? Do you need time alone today? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so many needs weren't being met. Well, I think too, when you're in that state, it's hard to even know what your needs are. Yeah. Um, it's, it feels really disorienting yep. and yeah, that feeling of like, I don't know when the last time I had water was or whatever, yeah. it's just cause you, it's hard to track what's happening yeah. throughout the day. 100%. And the days go by so fast. Yeah. Um, yep. you just don't know where a week is gone and it's like, what did I do besides mm-hmm. breastfeed? And so I remember when the, when the intrusive thoughts got really bad. I was really nervous to tell anybody because they, they started off actually as sexual in nature. Mm-hmm. And it started with me having visions of other people harming my daughter. And I remember going walking through Home Depot with my husband and the baby one day and seeing this scenario play out in my head like a movie of someone hurting her. Mm-hmm. And I had to run to the bathroom because I, I was going to be sick. Mm-hmm. Because then the obsessive, like, why am I thinking these things? things, mm-hmm. what's wrong with me, what kind of a mother sees these things happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was literally like turning on the TV and watching it, you know, yeah. so real. Yep. And, and it just kept playing over and over. And so the more I tried to think it away, the more it was there. And, you know, then it started from someone else hurting my daughter to me hurting my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I would have, you know, visions of, of how I would harm her. When I was sitting in a chair, you know, nursing her thinking, no, I wouldn't. I could never. Like, why am I having these thoughts? And so, of course, I go to Google <laughs> before, I, mm-hmm. before I talk to my family. I go to Google and I had typed in something along the lines of, you know, images of murdering your baby or something along those lines. Thinking like, someone's going to see my search history and take my daughter away from me. Mm, right. And so I stumbled somehow across PSI's website. I must have clicked on one of their links. Yeah, clicked on one of their links and started reading about all sorts of things, you know, everything 
postpartum and realizing like, oh, that kind of sounds like what I'm going through. Like, Mm -hmm. what is is this? And Mm -hmm. I found a resource list from their website that pointed me to a therapist in Rochester, which is close to my home. And I remember calling Jessica because I had actually, I had been in therapy, mind you, this whole time. So even backing up to before I got pregnant, I was in therapy. Okay. (laughs) Because of my husband's stroke. Uh You know, it was something that was really hard to get past. So I was like, you know what? I tried therapy when I was younger. It was helpful. Let's try it again. So, okay. <laughs> and we might need to this. we might need to do a whole other episode on just that. <laughs> this episode is supported by Ritual. There are so many things to think about when it comes to your health and wellness and well-being overall. And we deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why. That's why Ritual's founder, Kat Schneider, is on a mission to reinvent the vitamin industry. They're committed to showing you their nutrients, where it came from, and why they chose it. They call it traceability. That was one of the first things that drew me to this vitamin, that you can actually see the ingredients. I know what I'm taking. I know what I'm getting. And that makes me feel really good about taking it. And honestly, I had never really thought before about what is in a multivitamin. I just kind of trusted what was in there, what was on the label. But to be able to see it really does make a difference. And did you know that 40% of women cannot properly utilize the synthetic form of folate or folic acid, which can be found in many multivitamins? This is why Ritual uses folate in its absorbable form to help cover women's needs. Daily changes can lead to big results, so start small today. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Try it out, satisfaction guaranteed. Go to ritual.com slash momandmind to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash momandmind. I have a lot of questions, but okay. Yes. Uh, so you found somebody. I found somebody because the therapist I was seeing at the time obviously had absolutely no idea what postpartum depression or OCD was. And so I had called my now therapist, Jessica, and I remember leaving her a voicemail saying something is not right with me. She called me back within probably within an hour, which I wasn't expecting. And she just asked me a simple question like, you know, what's happening? What -hmm. are you seeing? You know, and I told her exactly what my last intrusive thought was. And I just remember sobbing. And she was real quiet for a minute and she was like, you're going to be okay. Mm. She said, it's totally normal. Mm -hmm. It's more normal than you could ever imagine. And, you know, in time, you're going to be good. You're Mm going to be healthy again. And I just remember the sigh of relief after that. And then subsequently that night, I spoke with my husband and my mom and dad about it. And I just told them what I had been seeing play out in my head. Mm Mm-hmm. And just explained a little more of what was going on with me. And they all sat there and just sobbed and said, we're they so didn't know. sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. they didn't know. And they were so thankful that I came forward. And they yeah. were so thankful that they understood now why I was, you know, just kind of like the shadow of who I used to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think it really shed some light on the situation that helped us all understand like, okay, this is really messed up, mm-hmm. but apparently it's normal. We're going to get <laughs> some help and, mm-hmm. and we're going to be good, you know? And now two years later, I'm still in therapy with Jessica and, you know, it's, I'm thankful for her and for her services and the time she's put in with me because I don't know where I'd be without her. Yeah. It's so She gave me the tools. Yeah, gave me the tools that I need to get through a day, you know, when I have lots of ups and downs. And her therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, along with the medications I'm on, have been life-changing. At what point in the process did you find a medication? 
the the first time I tried Zoloft was probably around I want to say five months. Mm-hmm. I had you know talked with uh, with Jessica about it and um, talked with my primary care provider about it, and they both thought it was a really great idea because it the cognitive behavioral therapy had started to really help, but I was still having those intrusive thoughts, right. and they were still really haunting. And so we kind of knew at that point, all right, we need to step it up a notch and have medication in conjunction with therapy. Mm-hmm. So I started Zoloft right away, which the, I, there's a whole other backstory to even getting the script from my midwife, who at that point had pretty much written me off because oh. I was no longer pregnant. Oh. So yeah, so some things were thrown around that really weren't helpful. When I went for my follow-up to see how the meds were working, she had told me, well, hopefully you feel better because you were in quite a state when you were here last. Oh, boy. <laughs> and at one point she threw out, you know, you were you were pretty close to psychosis. What? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to, like, gather everybody up and just have, a like, a worldwide webinar on what not to say. It's Exactly. It's like, 100%. Just, like, just maybe don't say anything. If you don't know what's going on, don't uh, say anything at all. Yeah. So there was a lot of really, you know, just bad advice on all accounts. Right. And so the medicine, though, immediately, immediately helped me get on track. I want to say within right. the first week, I really started to feel like this veil had been lifted. Oh, good. And I was always, you know, I don't do well with medications. I don't need, you know, head meds because it's, there's such a stigma against it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone said, well, you can't do that if you're breastfeeding. Like it, that'll mess up your baby. It'll make her groggy, blah, blah, blah. And after talking to, you know, my providers about it, I realized it was the most healthy thing for me and my daughter for mm-hmm. me to continue on meds and continue to breastfeed, mm-hmm. which we did. And, you know, suddenly at five, six months, when I was on the medication, I finally actually felt like we got into the best groove with breastfeeding because I was finally able to bring my shoulders out of my ears and and really sit with her and really enjoy that time together because I felt like just such a weight had been lifted and it gave me more confidence also between the therapy and the meds to say, you know what? It's okay. It hurts sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. Some days she's hungry and some days she's not. Like, don't stress about it. It's a so lot, it a really, lot of lessons. Yeah, it was a big, big game changer. So, you know, the meds really worked. And I know some people go through a horrible, you know, have to try two, three before they find the right mixture. But thankfully, this one worked. Zoloft worked for me right away. That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm really, really glad. So you went through a whole, a whole lot. And I know there's there's a lot more to your healing process and a lot more to your story. I, I really, really appreciate, though, the, the detail that you gave us today, because a lot of people, you know, get, have experiences like this and don't ever hear those kinds of details, like the thought processes and, and the emotional 100%. stuff that comes up. And just being able to hear somebody else have an experience that's similar to yours is so healing. Mm-hmm. I just know that... Uh, you sharing this with us today will help so many people. Um, I, I hope at least, you know, even if one person hears it and knows that they're not alone, you know, that's the biggest part. Absolutely. What are some of the things that you really want to make sure people understand about what you learned through your process and, and what you want other people to, to know so that they don't have to suffer? So, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, there's a lot of medical practitioners out there that really are not educated on postpartum issues 
whatsoever. And, you know, if you're not getting the care that you feel you need and deserve from your practitioner, if it's feasible for you to do so, find someone else, you know, shop around, do your research if you can, find someone that does potentially specialize in postpartum depression, or at least understands it. Yeah. You know, if your therapist isn't working out like mine was, find a new one, hopefully someone that understands PMADs. And just keep, you know, keep pushing. It's so hard to like, you know, with the climb out of the darkness event where we're organizing in Batavia here, it is so hard to climb out of that pit that feels like it's just never going to end. But, you know, the more you advocate for yourself, the more you speak up on the issues that, you know, you're going through, the more people are going to understand it. And the more your practitioners are going to hear, well, you know what, there was a lot of women saying they felt X, Y, and Z after they gave birth. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we should look into that. I mean, just just let people know what you're going through and try not to be scared to do it. Reach out to your peers. I mean, I feel like so many of my girlfriends never brought up the the bad and the ugly with mm-hmm. childbirth and mm-hmm. those first few weeks after. You know, everybody talks about what the baby wore home from the hospital or what color the nursery is. None of that matters. <laughs> <laughs> what matters is, you know, telling your girlfriend. I had a horrible C-section, <laughs> a mm-hmm. horrible time. How was yours? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you know, if you can't necessarily get that support from your practitioners, find it socially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I found a really great, it's called the Mindful Mamas Group out in Buffalo, New York. I actually was able to reconnect with an old friend and then met a few really great new friends along the way as well. Mm-hmm. But sitting in a circle with other moms that are going through anxiety, depression, OCD, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh my gosh, like I really am not alone. And right. it's not just, you know, my therapist, it's other women that right. are my age that went to my high school, that, mm-hmm. you know, went to the same college I did, work in the same field I do. It was amazing just what that social and peer support did for me. Yeah. Once I actually started opening up and telling my story. Yeah. And I feel like every time I speak my story still, you know, whether it's someone that has no understanding of postpartum, you know, mental health issues, you know, it'll be an aha moment for them. Like, yeah. oh, wow, maybe that explains why my sister was so weird. Totally. Or, right. you know, my mom mm-hmm. or whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. I just think being vocal about it and trying to break that stigma that, you know, mental health issues are to be kept a secret and hidden from everyone you know and love. It's so far from the truth. Because once I started opening up, I felt like people around me understood more and I was able to set up healthier boundaries. I was able to, I mean, even with the workplace, I mean, I, I was upfront and honest with my bosses, which you don't always have to be, but I felt like it was the right thing to do so that they knew what was happening. And I was lucky enough to have an employer that understood because yeah. one of their wives had actually gone through it. Oh, wow. Yeah. They thanked me for bringing it to them. And then they asked me, what do you need? What? Wow. Yes. Which was like, whoa. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you mean? What do I need? Uh-huh. So, that does not happen every day. No. And especially in a fast paced sales environment, it was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I can take one day off a week to do everything I need to do. Mm-hmm. Go to my therapist, go to my support group, you know, work on my prescriptions if I need to, or, you know, whatever it may be. And so just speaking up and telling people what you need, this is how you can help me, Mm -hmm. you know, and and learning how to hold space for one another too was huge. There's just so many things I've learned 
throughout this last two and a half years that honestly, if I had to do it all over again, I would. Because I feel Mm -hmm. like postpartum OCD, especially, and postpartum depression has really, it's made me a better mom. It's made me a better partner, Mm -hmm. a better daughter and a better friend, because I feel like I'm a lot more present. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's given me a whole new lease on life. That's so awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is just, I want to make sure that, you know, other women out there like me that maybe don't have the resources to private pay with a therapist, mm-hmm. they at least know there's ways out there, you know, sliding scales or payment plans with therapists, like there's mm-hmm. ways to, to get around it. Right. And really just trying to educate, you know, <laughs> I feel like my name is in our community now synonymous with <laughs> depression. <laughs> and I love it. All right. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that's and great. Yeah. And even, you know, I've gone to such lengths as to discuss it with my daughter's pediatrician and they've been able to, yeah, they've been able to send some women my way to say, Hey, I know you're not going to solve this for me, but you, can you tell me where to go? Nice. (laughs) Like what's the next step here? Yeah. And so they've been really receptive. Just having the right connection to get you to the right place changes everything. Correct. It's, yeah. it's so powerful, like you finding the, the PSI resource and getting to the therapist that you need. I'm, it's so true. Um, it's, it's hard for people when they're in it to feel at all like it's possible for someone to understand them or that they could feel better or even that there's a way out of it. But your story and what you've shared with us today, I think is a great example of it can feel so hard and maybe even impossible to feel better given all that you've been through and yet you still can with the right help and 100% it's a powerful testament to your resilience and that you got through all this and you feel better than you've felt before it's ever this yeah. is yeah ever right the best right I've because ever felt about myself and your, my relationships yeah yeah you get you get to heal the the old stuff along with the new stuff <laughs> oh yeah and, and, and I then thought I had to... graduated <laughs> I graduated from therapy and <laughs> right and uh <laughs> we're just getting started I here think. we go <laughs> right right <laughs> but it's it's a great jumping off point and I just yeah. you know the biggest thing is just letting moms know that there is hope you know mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. you can be well with with you know help it's it's yeah. possible yeah. Thank so. you so much for your time and for sharing your story and for being an advocate in the way that you are. Um, I just really appreciate talking with you today. Thanks so much for having me on, Dr. Cat. It means the world. And uh, and honestly, from my standpoint, if it hadn't been for your podcast, normalizing things even more for me, I mean, it was just such a breath of fresh air to be able to listen to you and all of the guests you've had in the past on my um, drive to work every day, I'm thinking so like, glad. gosh, yeah, like here's another example of, you know, people that they get it. They get it and I'm mm-hmm. not alone in this universe. You're so. not. You're not. Well, I'm so glad we could be a support to you and thank you for being a support to others. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you again, Alyssa. There is always so much more to know about someone's journey and their healing process. And we can't always put it in a nice, neat little box because that's not what life is like. Thank you again, Alyssa, for sharing your story with us. And as we know full well, especially in the mental health world, when we hear a story, we're only hearing parts of it. So we can't know the full scope of someone's experience. And certainly, people who are in the healing process are still understanding their scope of experience and learning through healing how to feel better in the world. Alyssa's story 
Alyssa's healing process is one that I hear over and over that sometimes the journey through perinatal mental health struggles can lead you to feeling better overall, even better than you did prior to pregnancy or postpartum. Because sometimes what comes up in pregnancy or birth or postpartum, even though the experiences are very different and varied, can be a magnification of some symptoms that were underlying or there before. So getting that healing is so important. And I hope that everyone heard that in her story as well, that no matter how hard or difficult something seems, if you get the right support, you absolutely can feel better. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so you can get every single episode downloaded directly to you as they are released every other week. And if you know anybody, even just one person who could benefit from this episode or any of our other many episodes, please do share with them. This information and education is really offering a hand out to help someone come out of those dark places. And together, if we continue to share our stories and share this podcast and educate everyone around us, hopefully we can get to a place where no one has to suffer alone. Join us on Instagram at Mom and Mind and on Facebook at Mom and Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.